intro. Okay, so what I wanted to do was continue the Ezra Sashem to build on an idea that we ended with last time, which was this. Um, in Perkeyavos, the Anche Knesses Hagdola. Hey, Mamrushloshadvarim, they said three things. Havu Mesunam Vadin, be patient in judgment. Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Last week I said I didn't have the source right there. I did. It was just on the next page. Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, Lama Nikrashman Anshe Knesses Hagadola. Why were they called the Anshe Knesses Hagadola, the men of the great assembly? Shehechaziru Atara Liyoshna. They're called that because they returned the crown to its fitting resting place, where it's meant to be. Asa Moshe Amar Hakel Hakadol Hagibor Vehanora. Moshe came and said, Hashem, the mighty Hashem is Gadol Gibor Enora. He is the great one, the powerful one, and the awesome one. Also Yirmiyahu Amar. But then Yirmiyahu came and said, There are foreigners quacking in the, in the sanctuary. And people just like, remember they were like having like orgies and parties and, you know, you can imagine a, a soldier encampment up on the Harabai is what that would be like. Where's the awe of him? Where, how do you see God's awe expressed when people are not afraid to go, you know, Jewish people, we will make sure we're, tam, we're tahor, and maybe that takes a week or two. And then we go to a mikvah, and we prepare ourselves, and we take off our shoes, and we put on special clothes, and now you're going to walk up to Harabayas, and you're sort of, you know, nervous and shaking, and it's a very big deal. And even on Harabayas, you would be careful where you go and, and how Tamey or Tahor you are, and there are, are escape routes, you know, for Kohanim who, I don't know, step on a spider or something, and they, or, or a fly bumps into them, right? Now they have to leave, make a quick escape through underground tunnels to get back out again, right? It should be like a shoot, right? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay? So, and, and, and then you're going to have, you know, I don't know, Babylonian soldiers, like the Hessian troops, you know, come in, and they'll just, you know, like, sit there and, and slaughter a pig and roast it over a fire and sing body songs all night. Like, what, what happened to the awe of God? Lo Amar Nora. He didn't say the word Nora in his Shemona Esrei because he felt that wasn't, it wasn't revealed. And remember, in, in Moshe's original statement, he's talking about, you have seen what God has done for you, that he is Hashem who is Gadol Gibor Nora. So your Miyahu took from that, that if God's awe is not visible, you shouldn't talk about it. It's not revealed. Also, Daniel. Daniel came, Amar, and said, Foreigners have come and enslaved his sons. Where is his might? I mean, normally, if a father has allowed his sons to be enslaved right in front of him, then that means he's powerless to do anything about it. So where is God's power then revealed if the, son, if the children are enslaved? Lo Amar Gibor. So he didn't say Gibor. Asuin Amru, and then these ones came. The Anshe Knesset Hagadola came along. Now we're not talking about a long period of time. Yirmiyahu is the end of it, like seventy years. Right? Yeah, max. I mean, there's overlap. These people right, knew each right. other. Sure. <laughs> this is an absolute continuum within. I mean, literally, it would be three generations if we count twenty years as generations. But in terms of actual overlap of people, you're talking about people who lived more or less contemporary to one another just over a span of time. So the transition of leadership over the course of 50, 60, 70 years, that's what we're talking about over here. But they're people who overlapped with each other. These ones came along and said, Adarabah, no, 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 quite, quite the contrary. That's the word for Adarabah, now I know. Zohi Gvuraso, Shekovish Yitzro. This is the might of his might. The power of the power. Is that he has power over his power? Mm -hmm. the, is that my phone ringing? Oh, okay. He conquers his own inclination, just like we say, Ezehu Gibor Hakovish Yitzro. Who is powerful? One who can conquer his own inclination. So God is the most mighty of all. So, of course, he desires to take action, and yet he waits. He extends patience even to the wicked. And to the contrary, this is the awe of God. 
This, his awe is visible. Why? If not for fear of God, how else would it be possible that this nation can survive a sheep of, surrounded by 70 wolves? How could it, how could it be? So when the Anshe Knesset Hagdola responded to Daniel and Yirmiyahu, they really responded directly. Because Daniel and Yirmiyahu said, Aye, where? Where is it? Sorry, I'm just thinking because it reminds me of something I was thinking about on Shabbos. Okay. They didn't say there isn't awe and there isn't might. And they didn't say, right, they said, where is it? In other words, I'm looking for it. I know it's there. Where is it? I don't know where to look for it. So the Anshe Knesset Hagdola are answering Yirmiyahu and Daniel. They're saying, no, that is it. That thing you're looking at, the, itself. It's not that it's hidden behind it. It's not that, that itself is what you were looking for all along. That expression of God's holding back is itself the expression that you're looking for, for Gvura and for Noah. There are a lot of thoughts, you know, you have to have about this, like, Nobody touched Gadol, first of all. That wasn't really a question. Mm-hmm. And they're called Anshe Knesset HaGadola. Mm-hmm. But what they restored was not... I mean, it seems like that's the return of the Gadula, is the fact that they were able to point to the Gibor and the Nora, which is a fascinating way of thinking about it. I mean, that for sure has to tie back to all the ideas of Chesed as the source, and it is expressed into the world as the next layers of Gvura and Nora and everything that follows after, right? Gvura, uh, strength and Tiferes or Din and Torah. All, <laughs> this is the expression that comes out of it. Um, that is the revelation of the Gedula. This is one, one, I mean, there's just like hard to know where to even start with that. Um, one thing though that does occur to me, and this is, I, I believe it's the same theme really, the same idea of what, this is what we ended with last week and that, that we're talking about, I hope, a little more this week. This idea that it is the Gevura that is the beginning, not the beginning, but is the launching of the Chesed into the world. That Hashem with Chesed creates the world, Olam Chesed Ibone, and yet that creation itself happens as a restriction. The giving happens through a holding back of giving that otherwise there wouldn't be a creation of the world altogether. Turning the infinite, the will of the infinite, into something finite is already a restrictiveness, is a holding back. Otherwise you would have no finite at all. So it occurred to me on Shabbos that there's a similar idea in Kedusha. I think where I really saw it was in the Kedusha of Musaf, more than anywhere, because there you have a more expanded one. Let's see... Obviously, I don't have notes on this. What just called it to mind now was that Aye. Aye Gvurosav, Aye Norosav. And you have the same Lashen. Okay. Naritzchov and Nakdishchok, Sotziach Sarfei Kodesh. We will broadcast and give and express the holiness of God's name in the same according to the secrets of the conversations of the holy malachim. Let's, let's turn that into our language a little bit closer. That was English, but not really. We will, we will praise and express the sanctity of God's holiness according to the principles of the higher spiritual forces. Hamagdishin shimcha bakodesh. And we will follow the pattern of those who are magdish shimcha, who are, make a Kiddush Hashem, they express, look, this is God's holiness in the world, Bakodesh, in the holy places. Mm-hmm. So we're not like ourselves maybe standing in that place of the Malachim, but we're going to rise up and actually stand with them and, and maybe even climb higher in Shemona So we're going to follow the pattern of the Malachim. Kakasu How, So what's the pattern that they use then that we're going to emulate? As it says in the Sukim of the Navi, the Karazel Zeve Omar, that they call one to another and say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh Hashem Tzavakos, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All of the earth is filled with his kavod. His glory fills the universe. Mesharsav, those who serve him, ask one another, where is the place of his glory? His glory fills the earth, so is there some place for it? So in response to that, or uh, facing that, Baruch Yomeru, Baruch Kvod Hashem Mimkomo. Where is Hashem's glory? We can't see it. And the answer is, the answer is that we already said, His glory fills the earth. So then why would you afterward be asking, okay, now I have not studied this Kaddish to understand, this Kedusha properly to understand it, but it did occur to me, because we have this idea with the covered in the past, that the glory of Hashem, that word covered of Hashem, is referring specifically to the Kedusha of Hashem's name being recognized in this physical world. There's actually a physicality of covered. Mm-hmm. It's not because it's a physical thing, but because that's what covered is. And that's why after we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Okeinu, Hashem Echad, we immediately revert to a Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuso. Because by speaking it out, we've created a situation where there's a degree of covered Hashem in the world. Mm-hmm. Just because we spoke it out into the, universe, into the physical world, we made something happen. So the Malachim are saying Hashem's covet fills the entire earth. It fills the world, Haaretz. And it fills the entire universe. So where is it? This comes from his place, meaning Hashem is the place where the earth is. Remember that? It's not that there is a place. I think that's what it's talking about a little bit in, in a, a level that's like too high for me to understand at all, but it's... Sounds like it's referencing something we were speaking about last time, which is, it's not that the presence of Hashem is somewhere on earth. The earth is within Hashem's space, so to speak. God is bigger than space, and he has mitzantzim. He has made a holding back of himself to leave room for the finite. And so this is why, when, if someone will say, where is the, the covered coming from? It's not really the right question. The world is, is completely filled and permeated with his covered. So the question then becomes, you have to see it. Baruch kvod Hashem mimkomo. It's all coming from him. It's not coming from the earth in a particular source zone. It's actually coming from him. Mimkomo hu yifem berachamim. From where Hashem is the makom. Then he turns with rachamim and he gives chesed to his people who say, Shema Yisrael Hashem okenu Hashem echad. And that really is what leads us to how we're praising Hashem in accordance with the pattern of the Malachim. The Malachim can look around, and they, they look and they say, Kadosh, 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 Melokola, They can see that. We look around and we're like, where? Okay, Rav Schwab actually even says that, this I remember seeing, Misharsav, his servants, is, Rav Schwab says that's not talking about the Malachim anymore. He says, the Malachim said, Kadosh, 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 Hashem, Tzavakos, Melok, Kalaretz, Kivodo. Kivodo, Moleola, Mesharsav, God's servants, that means his human servants, who are emulating Malachim, the righteous people who are like angels themselves, but they're people, Sholem Zelazeh, they ask each other. Okay, the angels, Kara Zelazeh, they call out to each other, look, Hashem's covet fills the whole earth. The Mesharsav ask one another, where? <laughs> like, <laughs> We can't see it from the perspective of of the Sarfei Kodesh. They're in the Kodesh. They have a view of the entire physical universe, and they can see that Kvodo Maleola. We're down here, and we say, Where is this place? And this Minkomo is that Hashem turns with Rachmim and gives Chain to the people, to the Am Hamiyachadim Shmo, the people who unify his name, Erev Avoker, night and day. Meaning, whether it's dark or whether it's light, that we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. This is Hashem's glory. What's the kavod? What is the revelation in the world, in the physical world of Shem Hashem? It's the fact that Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that Hashem 
אבא, השם, דין, השם אחד. רחמים, דין, השם אחד. It's all coming from him. Whether what you see is the chesed or what you see is the gevura, Hashem echad. It's all echad, and echad, of course, is gematria of ahava, love. Because that's where it's stemming from. Whether it's the rachamim or whether it's the din, what you're seeing is Hashem echad. Hu elokeinu, he's the Lord. Hu avinu, he's also our father. Din or rachamim. Hu malkeinu, hu moshienu, he's our king. He tells us what to do. Hu moshienu, he saves us. It's all of it. Mm-hmm. And this is the flip side of it. The flip side of the fact that we're emulating the malachim. And in fact, right, we learned that Chazal say that when you compare the two, actually the malachim have to say kadosh, kadosh, kadosh before they can say Hashem Tzavakos. And Kla Yisrael only say two words, Shema Yisrael, and then Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. That it actually achieves a higher level even than the malachim. You start off by trying to say, could we do what they do? And you say, well... Not exactly, but what if we do what we do following their pattern? And what you achieve is something even higher. Mm-hmm. And that's that contrast of Erev and Boker, and night and day. And twice a day we say it. And then Hashem, Yashmienu, He will make heard to us. He will cause us to hear Shainus a second time. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an echo. We say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Right? There's, you could see Hashem, you could see Elokeinu, it's Echad, it's one. It's not two things. It's not two forces going on. It's all coming from one force. And the echo back, echoes, the problem with the word echo is it's much weaker than the original sound. <laughs> That's the problem with it. Reflection is closer because you don't lose quite as much power in a reflection as you lose in an echo. The reason I said echo is because it's sound and this is using a lushen of listening. Okay, but we said Shema Yisrael, and Hashem is Yashmienu. Now he says Shema. He's going to make a listen, right? That, that's what's happening over here. In his Rachamim, Shainis, a second time, right? We said Pa'amayim twice Shema. Now Hashem is going to say Shema twice. Only what he says is, Le'enei before the eyes of all the people. I don't know exactly what the contrast is here. We cover our eyes and say Shema Yisrael, and he's sort of like opening everyone's eyes and says Shema. And what is he, what's Hashem's response to Shema? It's the other end of Shema. It's actually where we get to at the end of it. I did it all to be your God. I am Hashem your God. That's what he said to us at Har Sinai. That is the coming out of Mitzrayim. It's not mentioned here. That's the hard part, you know. Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. Being in Mitzrayim is not so amazing. Turns out it's amazing because it was all Leos Lachem Lelokim. In order to be to you, your Lord. It says, you know why I did all that? So that I'll be your Elokim. Ani Hashem Lokechem. I am Hashem of Rachamim, your Elokim. All of that that you experienced, you only knew it was Elokim. You should know the whole time it was Ani Hashem Lokechem. It's Ani, just one. Hashem Elokechem. You recognize that before you even spoke it out. Uh, no, sorry, not before you spoke it out. Before you could see it. You said, Shema Yisrael, listen. You can't see it. I guess that's the difference between the covering the eyes and the Le'elin Kochai. You know what? That is the difference. And I'm going to prove it. <laughs> that is the difference. Okay? We cover our eyes and we still say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokechem, Hashem Echad. That's what we're saying. We're saying, I can't see it. But I can know it. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. I can't see it's all one. I see Din, I see Rachamim. I see Tzadik Viralo, and I see Rosh Vitovlo. I can't see it. I can't see how it's all Chesed. I could believe it's all from Hashem, but it's all Chesed? That, that I, that it's all love? That I don't see. But Hashem will show us again, just like He showed us with Matan Torah. When we saw the love of Matan Torah, and we realized that all of that Mitzrayim experience, both going in and coming out, was Leos Lachem Lelokim, Ani Hashem Lokechem. In that moment, Ani, there's one God that we could see, Hashem Lokechem, it's Hashem and Elokim. From that experience, it's looking to the future. Okay, so why did I say that I could prove it? Because, now I've got to find where this was, because I wasn't planning to say it just here. Chazal say... Listen to this. On this bracha of Vuros, not Shema. Okay, but this is <coughs> the topic. 
By the way, Kedusha is is between Gvurus and Kedusha and Kadosh, mm-hmm. Atar Kadosh. Okay, this isn't the same place. Right. <laughs> okay, we're not like off topic over here. All right. This idea of whatever you're looking at, you're looking at the the Nachrim Mekakrim Behechalo, that is where you're saying, where is the glory of God? Where is the Nora of God? Where is the Gvur of God? That's where it is. Listen to this. The Medrash teaches, okay, I'm reading now from Abu Darham, his commentary on the Siddur, on Michamocha Bal Gevuros. This is his bracha. He's got a lot on this bracha, but this particular piece, which was not scheduled for today. Okay. This bracha ends with Hashem is faithful. He, can, he is trustworthy. You are trustworthy to revive the dead. Klomar, in other words, from now, from the point of view of where we are now, we trust that you will revive the dead. As opposed to the other cases of in this bracha, which are like, you could see them, okay? This one we haven't seen yet. So from this point of view, from now, we're trusting, we're expressing that we know. Now that's familiar, right? Because we had this idea with Shmi Hashem Lo Nodati and Shmos and Va'era that Hashem told Moshe, the Avos, whatever God said would happen, that's what was. They, under, they lived that way. They lived that God made a promise or spoke that something would happen, and that was the reality. Now that is the re- I mean, that is what reality is but they actually could see it and live it. Whereas afterward, Hashem said, Chaval, we don't have that kind of people anymore. This is already in the time of Moshe. <laughs> He's talking to Moshe and saying, we don't have those kind. You know, in the good old days, when we had the ones, right? The Klai Yisrael now, we don't, the Avos never got to see the fulfillment of the promises, but it didn't make a difference. They didn't need to see it in this world to be 100% living that it's true. They saw it enough just by hearing it. Okay. Baruch ato Hashem hamesim. We trust that you revive the dead. Blessed are you who revives the dead. Amrinam Bamidrash. The Midrash teaches. Emunim notzer Hashem. Oh, I meant to look this up. Okay. Those who trust... Hash, uh, where did I see this? I saw this also brought in English. The question is, who brought it? I don't remember which where I saw this also. That those who trust in Hashem, Hashem causes to grow, like to develop. Somewhere here it's going to come out. Because I, I know that I saw this also. I don't remember. Okay. Elu, Elu this is referring to She'omrim Amen Be'emuna. Those who say Amen with Emuna. Now, how else would you say Amen? <laughs> right? Amen, Emuna. Like... Those who say amen with emuna, those who say amen with with trust. Remember what Rav Hirsch has taught us: emuna is when your feelings and actions are informed by what you know to be true, even though it isn't directly in front of you at the moment. So you already have experienced. You you know Avram talked to God, Hashem talked to him. He allowed his life to be guided by what Hashem told him, whether or not that happened to be present in front of him at the moment. He could see the results of it. What's the example? The Medrash goes on to say, what is these people who say amen be'emuna? What kind of person says amen be'emuna? What, when, when would someone say amen in emuna that it would be so wonderful, that you'd be called emunim, the, the ones who trust? Something doesn't look so good. Omer shaliach tzibur when the Shaliyah Tzibor repeats the Shemona Esrei and says, Mechaye HaMesim, God revives the dead, Vehem Onin Amen. And they answer, Amen. Amen is testimony. Amen means it's Emunah, it's true. Right? This is the truth. So when, when every time the Shaliyah Tzibor says, Mechaye HaMesim, and you say, Amen, but you haven't yet seen the revival of the dead. Omer go Yisrael, the Shalech Tibor says, God redeems Israel. And they say, Amen, but they haven't been redeemed yet. 
And even though, like, once upon a time, they were redeemed, but now they're back and enslaved again. Like, it's true, we could look back and say we were redeemed from Egypt, we were redeemed from Bavel, but here we are, sitting in Santa Monica. And we still say Amen. And we say it absolutely. Omer boni Yerushalayim. The Shulach Sibur says God is building Jerusalem. And they say Amen. Even though it's still destroyed. This is Emunim Notzer Hashem. I think that's, uh, that's the proof of the covered eyes. Right? They don't see it yet. And they say it. And they say it. Be'emuna. They say amen be'emuna. Emuna is, you know that it's true. You already know it. You may not see it now, but if you did uncover your eyes, it would be there, basically. If you can look at, you know, a piece of cake and then cover your eyes and say there's still cake there, that's not blind faith. I mean, you're covering your eyes, true. But we wouldn't call that blind faith. We would say, I know there's a piece of cake. If I were to uncover my eyes, it's there. So what's the problem here? Is there any question about the presence of the cake? No. The only questionable thing is, am I looking or not? This is how we say Shema. This is how we emulate Malachim. And Hashem answers back, So pretty sure that that's the concept over here. But this is also the concept of Gvuros altogether. Right? This is what the Anshe Knesset Hakadola said. Aye no rosav. Where is his, where is his awe? Aye gvurosav. Where is his power? And they said, Adarava, no, to the contrary. That's it. That's what you're looking at. Or maybe your hands are over your eyes again. Mm-hmm. But that's what it is. His hands are over your eyes, really. That's, that is where it is. The phenomenon that you're looking at is what reveals it. That's what they're saying. It's not that you're looking in the wrong place. It, that's what it is itself. And we talked about that that's what the word olam means. Yeah, do we, uh, I said that on Tuesday, actually. I said, must, did I say that also last week? Okay. So what's the word olam? Sorry, I just remembered that. I remembered saying it, but I was not sitting in this chair. <laughs> <laughs> in this place. Okay. The word olam is world or universe. It can also mean time, right? Time, space. But the word ne'elam means hidden. I've definitely said this here before, just wasn't last week, okay? In other words, the world, the olam, has the effect of ne'elam, of hiding, which means that the world reveals Hashem's glory, right? Kvodo male olam. That's what it's here for. That's what he created it for, to, to reveal his glory. Kol lo lichvodo. That was the very last Mishnah Navos. Everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created Be'olamo in his world, in his olam, in his world-hiding, revealing place, lo baro, he only created El Chvodo for his glory. Glory being revelation of Hashem's name in the world. That's what it's all here for. In other words, the olam's purpose is, every, the olam and everything in it, the purpose is to reveal Hashem's shame into the world. To reveal it. As the Pasuk says, Kol anikra b'shmi, whoever calls out in my name, v'lichvodi, for my glory, b'rasiv yitzati v'afasesiv. For my glory, I have created it, formed it, and even made it. That's all the levels of the, you know, olam, right? That's right there. You got the atzilas, the bria, the yitzira, the asiya. And it doesn't say atzilas, it says b'shmi, but same, same, right? The omer, and the Pasuk says, Hashem yimloch le'olam vo'ed. God shall rule le'olam vo'ed to the world. And ed is like forever and ever, but it's also testimony. Because that's, <laughs> olam vo'ed is time and space testifying to the fact that God is present. That that's, that's, this is an expression of his shame. Okay, so here's Rav Hirsch on that place in Avos. Everything is a creation of God, has no other purpose but to serve the glorification of God, its creator, ruler, and master. It is inevitable that all things should fulfill this destiny. That's one to think about, by the way. It's inevitable that all things, because that's what God created them for, should fulfill this destiny. For God has created each one of them especially for the purpose and fashioned and guided it accordingly. I'll just point here to the Ramban that we've seen before in Bereshis 
on Vayar Elokimus Ha'or Kitov, that Hashem saw the light and it was good, Ramban over there says, Tov is the description of when something has reached the point of its destiny. This destiny that Rav Hirsch is talking about. When something, when, it, when something in creation has reached the point where it is in the state that it should last forever. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's meant to be. That's called Tov. Mm-hmm. So good is when it reaches the state of fulfilling that destiny of serving the glorification of God which is indicated by or, light. The nature with which every creature is endowed at the time of its birth and all the influences that affect it under God's own guidance. So we're talking about the natural part of the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the nature it's given, so that would be like the physical qualities. And the influences that affect it, that would be the next level with the mazalos and the emotional states and the changes and the climate and everything else, all the forces that act on it. Both have the ultimate goal to guide all things, that's the notes there, the pushing, to guide all things and all men along the path that will lead to the glorification of God alone on earth. In other words, okay, now this is me talking, that was reverse. Everything is created to be part of a process of revealing Kavod Hashem by being created and actualizing into Asiya. Mm-hmm. It's through the actualization that Kavod happens. That's why I said that Kavod is referring specifically to a phenomenon of Shem Hashem being revealed into this world. And that's why Olam, which is, Olam is a process of revelation. <laughs> it's a pro- Olam is a process, of course, because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. finite, so it's always changing and evolving and getting from one place to another. It's also Ne'elam. Everything is both hidden within it because the physicality of it hides the spirituality of it, and yet it is a process of revelation through spiritual. Uh, it's a process of revelation of the spiritual through the physical. That's what olam is. Coming back to Gvura a second, right? Hein hein norosav, hein hein gvurosav. That, Anche Knesset Zagadola weren't just being cute. This is like the deepest levels of creation. We can't even, we certainly can't go there, but we could know that that's what's behind door number two is Kvura. They're saying, no, 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 that, that's what the world is. We don't say, no, it's not revealed. We say, that's the process of the revelation. That, if you didn't have the olam, which is ne'elam, you wouldn't have the olam, which is the revelation. It's all the same thing, the process itself. Okay. Which, I, as I said, I think is part of this. The, pa- the passage of Kedusha is this idea of not being able to see it in the world, I am a kom kavodo, and then realizing, yes, we really did see it in the world all along. Mm-hmm. That we can say it with our eyes closed and realize it was there the whole time. It's what we're looking at. We just have to stop looking at the physical representation of it temporarily. And then God echoes it back by revealing that everywhere. Okay. So now, Okay. We're still not at the part of like going word by word, but conceptually. This bracha started with, Ata gibor le'olam Hashem. You are the, the gibor le'olam. You are the, the mighty one, the one who brings all might to the world. Okay, now we understand. That's, that's the formation of the world altogether. Mm-hmm. And then the name of Hashem over here is Aleph, Dalet, Nun, and Yud. It's not Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey pronounced Aleph, Dalet, Nun, and Yud. It actually is Aleph, Dalet, Nun, and Yud. Okay, so Rav Lef says about this, God's strength is manifest within the confines of the world alone. It, it's the world that reveals God's strength. I mean, there's no one to reveal to, right? I mean, that is the revelation of it. God himself is infinite and omnipotent. His strength in relation to God himself is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything to say he's like revealing to himself, his self, right? That doesn't. So the manifestation of his strength is within the world. Again, that's what, he doesn't say it, but that's what Anjik and Esa Sakadola really are answering. Rather, God's strength is only manifest in creation. Very similar to what Refersh said. He says, and where it's manifested is in three worlds. There's What's an olam? What's a world? Well, there are actually three things that are called a world, depending on, okay, he's going to go on three of them, okay, <laughs> based on the kliyakar. One is the world called 
a human being, man. One is the physical universe, and one is Gan Eden, the spiritual universe. Each of these is an entire olam. Which means, if something is an entire olam, it means it is a manifestation of God's strength, of God's gvura in creation. And therefore, the name of God used here is Adnus, which means Hashem, who is the creator of the world. And he breaks it down as Aleph, which is God's existence, Anochius, that God is, which is not defined by the world or not the world, mm -hmm. and <coughs> Din, okay, which is Dan, the Dalit Nun in the middle. Mm -hmm. Din, which is the, the world of Din, the laws of nature, the Teva, the boundaries, the limitations, the formation of creation. So what you have with the name Aleph, Dalit, Nun, and Yud is you have Aleph on the front and Yud at the end. Yud is 10. This we talked about in the Shavashir a couple times lately. So the Aleph is the one, the 10 is the Yud, which are the same thing. The difference between an Aleph and a Yud, the principles are the same. The difference between an Aleph and a Yud is that Yud is 10. So it's the unfolding of the one, the unpacking of it. So in pieces and in stages that ultimately comes back together again to be recognized as one single whole identity, but that contains all of the, all of the above. And that's the bracket on the outside. And within that space, there's Din. I mean, it's really a, it turns that name of God into a sort of visual representation of the idea that Hashem is the Makom of the world. Yeah, I could see you getting there already. But that's, right? <laughs> okay. So Rav Munk, ah, actually I have it over here. I want to bring something that Rav Munk says on this bracha because I think it connects to this idea of what Rabbi Leff hinted to that there's such a thing as an olam that's humanity, that's the world, and that there are these three worlds. There's man, there's a spiritual world, and there's a physical world. Okay. So just to preface it, we actually know, because we learned about this at the beginning of talking about the role of man in the world, right? Yaakov had his dream. Sulam Mutzav Artsav Hashamaima. And one way of reading that puzzle, it's not the simple shot, is that Yaakov in his dream saw that his own feet were on the ground and his head reached toward the heavens. He realized that man himself, that he himself was a Sulam. A Sulam is a ladder, but a Sulam then is a bridge between two, two different planes that otherwise don't touch. You can't get from here to there unless you put a ladder and all of a sudden now you have a path from here to there. So he realized that man himself is a bridge from here to there, from this world to the next world. And we saw that also with the idea of mankind having a body and a soul that are fused together. This idea of a bridge from one world to the other or containing both worlds together. So these three worlds that Rabbi Leff talked about, man, spiritual world, physical world, or Gan Eden and the physical world, that these are somehow bonded together through mankind. Okay. So Rav Munk points out that the Trias HaMesim has five mentions in this bracha. Remember we said it could be called three times, it can be called four times, it can be called five times. It says it's called five times because man with five senses, he doesn't source this, I don't know. It is man with his five senses and five regions of his soul. Five regions of the soul presumably is uh, nefesh, ruach. All right, see if I can remember them there correctly. There's nefesh, ruach, neshama, but there's more in there. There's also chaya and yechida, which are like higher levels that are even beyond, like, okay? So I, that's presumably what he's talking about. We have five senses and five regions of soul. And therefore, there's five times the miracle of the resurrection of the dead. I think that at least part of what that means is this. We've seen the idea that senses in a person are the portals to the spiritual self. That that's what a sense, the, what the function is that they serve is to create openings through which information or data about the physical world can enter the intellectual and spiritual self. So a person can touch something and then there could be a mitzvah regarding that or there could be 
a mushal or a knowledge of godliness that can come through that, through seeing, through tasting. The experience of the outside world, being able to come to the inside of a person, is only through the senses. That's what they do. So I find that interesting because that five mentions is five physical qualities. It's also five spiritual qualities, right? The five levels of the soul and the five senses of the body. And that, it's their meeting place. That's really, in Gevura is the meeting place where the spiritual and physical then can hold together to each other and relate to each other. Rav Hirsch and the Siddur, Hashem revealed his glory to the Avos, both by word and by means of mighty acts. This is the only way for us to conceive of God, if we are to reach and hold fast to the concept of truth, which refutes all error and folly. I think this is the reference to the, uh, those who say Amen Be'emuna, right? Hashem revealed his glory to the Avos by word and by means of mighty acts. That's the concept that Avraham saw mighty acts from God. He was saved from a fiery furnace. <laughs> he, he had salvation from God. It was based on that vehemin Hashem that he trusted in God, that he knew what he calls here to reach and hold fast to the concept of truth. You have an experience of truth that you reach. The emuna is the holding fast to it. That's, okay? This is the only way we can do it, is by seeking to see the revelation, reaching it, and then holding fast to it, and that will refute all error and folly. Okay, so now, what I wanted to do was do a piece, oh, I meant to make a few copies of this, and then I had trouble actually printing it. Okay, I guess I didn't. Sorry. I'm trying to remember, I'll, I'll make a copy after, because there's a lot of pieces of it, and as you, this is from Rabbi Leichter. And um, I always find that I have to, have to read it and reread it and reread it again a few times very slowly and very carefully and then go back again and it's that kind of uh, so I wanted to make a copy of it so you could see it anyway this is the book yeah the book it's actually ridiculously inexpensive there's almost like no excuse not to have this book it's like twelve dollars or something okay this is chapter eight from the book on tefillah prayer connects us with the divine will. And this is basically what my goal in learning this is bridging what we talked about just now, um, Gvura as the revelation of divine will or, and the process of the revelation, and also the previous part about Somech Noflim Verofe Cholim, that this is Gvura, and yet it's Gvura Mesuka, and there's the falling down and the picking up, like all of these ideas somehow come together in this piece by Rabbi Leichter, um, and also I think helps us to understand what is our avoda in Gvura, because it's shevach, it's praise, so really it's about what Hashem is doing, not about what we are doing, and yet it's part of Shemona Esrei, which is an avoda, so it means there's something that we need to, to do or conceive of or think about that is our avoda within this bracha. I think that's sort of what Rav Hirsch was hinting to, right? This idea that we need to, um, this, is, this is how we conceive of God if we are to reach and hold fast to the concept of truth. I think that's the goal. Okay. So Rav Leifter says, the Nefesh HaChaim tells us that when people suffer, the divine presence suffers too. Accordingly, this is Kabbalistic. You knew that because it said the Nefesh HaChaim tells us, right? Okay. Accordingly, we should pray to Hashem to remove our suffering because in doing so, the divine suffering is removed as well. That's a difficult thing to achieve. But it's something to strive for. It's absolutely part of what we've said where Shemona Esrei is expressing our own needs and in doing so, we're expressing God's will as well. It's the same thing. It's the same idea, just in terms of where there's pain. It also is an elevating avoda, meaning at the moment when a person is feeling pain, if at some point you can stop and you can step beyond yourself and say, you know, my suffering is also causing someone else to suffer. If you can feel, we've talked about this before, not so much in terms of Hashem per se, 
but other people, right? If in our own pain we can think, you know, other people have this pain too. Some people have it worse. I can be davening. I, I don't have to only think about myself. From my own pain, I can understand that other people suffer and ask for them as well. This is a huge elevation of a person's suffering, a huge benefit that can come out from a person's suffering is when you can, because suffering has a tendency, sorrows, to make us feel narrowed and focus inward and only on ourselves. And the overcoming of that is, is really a supernatural thing. Being able to think about someone else when you are in pain is uh, above and beyond. Uh, you know, we talked about this was Purim time with Esther, right? That she shouldn't think she's going to escape. That was the Pachat Yitzchak. That she should be davening from her own pain for the whole Klal Yisrael. And in this merit, the redemption will come. Okay. So this is taking it to a new level. This is not only that other people suffer, but saying that my suffering is divine suffering too. To illustrate this claim, the Nefesh HaChaim quotes a passage from the Gemara. I'm not going to... One reason not to go deeper in this is either a person can get to this stage, maybe briefly, or not at any particular time. But to know that it exists is the beginning of planting the seed of being able to try and get to it at some time. Having the seed in one's mind helps with that. So the Nefesh HaChaim quotes a Gemara. Said Rabbi Meir, at the time when a person suffers because of his sins, what does the Shechina say? My head is heavy. My arm is heavy. And the Nefesh HaChaim then explains. That which it says, my head is heavy, my arm is heavy. Okay, this is obviously an expression of suffering. Oi, it hurts. But it refers also to the tefillin of the head and the tefillin of the arm. For Chazal say in Brachos Daf Vav, Amad Aleph, that Hashem has tefillin. Yeah, this is not actual physical tefillin. The tefillin represent his attachment to us. So when we bind, we, we talked about this back, way back when, when we talked about tefillin and Shema, right? We bind tefillin on us, we're binding the name of God onto ourselves, okay? So Hashem binds tefillin onto himself, so to speak. You see quite a bit of Shema, as we just mentioned in the Kedusha, quite a lot of Shema is about this echo or reflection, right? We say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, and it ends with Vehu Yashmeinu Baruch Amav right? This, it's the, the opposite. Uh, not the opposite, it's the reflecting back of the same thing. And then Shema also talks about tefillin and mezuzah. All of these are areas where there's this reflection, which is not surprising because Shema is ahava, right? The brachos of Shema are all about ahava, love. Love is about two that are connecting as one. That's what Shema is. Shema Esri, we're already talking about unity. Like, there is no two, there's only one. But in Shema, it's really, it's just the two of us, but there's a coming together as one, which is why Ahava and Echad are the same gematria also. Okay. So that's, throughout Shema, we see this reflection going on. His tefillin represent his attachment to us, his wish to bestow good on us in every way. Now, that's interesting, because tefillin is also a binding that's a restriction. As it says there in the Gemara, those tefillin of the Ribbono Shololam, what is written in them? I mean, we know what's written in our tefillin. What's written in his tefillin? Again, it doesn't mean there's a parchment. It doesn't, right? But if, if Chazal are going to try and use, let's, let's call it a mashal, a parable, and say that what we're doing here is being reflected in God. God is treating us as we are treating him. He's thinking of us as we think of him, so to speak. So if we put tefillin on and they say something inside, praising God, and they have Shema inside, what would be inside God's tefillin if he had tefillin? If that's how he's thinking of us. You know, what it says in there is, Mika amcha Yisrael go yechad ba'aretz. Who is like your people Israel, one nation in the land? There's the echad, right? But, but the echad is focused on us. And so too, all the verses in his tefillin are praises of Israel. The notion of reciprocity is expressed in the verse, you have distinguished Hashem today, and Hashem has distinguished you today for him to be a treasured people. Just as our tefillin contain praises of Hashem, his tefillin contain praises of us. For there in the tefillin is a point of contact between us and him. 
And so, when a person suffers, there is, so to speak, a loss. He said before, it's suffering because of sin. There is, so to speak, a loss of absolute attachment and connection that should exist between him and Hashem. That's filling or loose. Based on this, we understand the statement, my head is heavy, my arm is heavy. For these are the places of tefillin, the points of contact where holy connection should exist. It's the head and the hand. It's the thinking, the mind, and the action, the arm. So the Nefesh HaChaim states that the essence of tefillah is founded upon man being troubled on account of heavenly suffering. That we're quite astonishing because for us at our level this is something we could rarely achieve in our lives mm-hmm. it's, it's really a high point that would come out of a low point I suppose that's another way to think of Gevura <laughs> from a very low point it can become a very high point it's only really from quite severe suffering that a person could turn that and say oh my goodness Hashem is feeling suffering too so to speak it's, it's really the same Gevura right hein hein norosav hein hein vurosav Nefesh makes clear, though, that the meaning of heavenly suffering is not that it is an empathetic response to our suffering, in the sense of no seba'olim chavero, of shouldering a burden with someone else. Rather, there is heavenly suffering because Hashem's original will, which is the will to bestow good on his creations, has not been fulfilled. God, in other words, God is actually suffering. It, this reminds me of the Rav Tzadok. Rav Tzadok says in Tzidka Satzadik, and I don't have the source right in front of me. I have it in the notes elsewhere. I, I just, um, I just I'm, I'm saying this for the sake of the recording. I just referenced it in last week's Tuesday Shear, which was about Yerushalayim. Rav Tzadok talks about the four olamos, the revelations of the world, um, and how chait is a... Pe- what it looks like in each of them, so to speak. Because everything in the physical world is an expression of a spiritual reality, but a, a frog in the spiritual world doesn't look like a malach of a frog in the world of Bria. I mean, the malach of the frog is not green. and right, That's a spiritual world. It's not about color or shape or size or sound or ribbits. Or, right? So we, we, we take for granted that these don't look the same. But what's, So he says with, when it comes to, to fear... He says, when a person does a wrong action, violating God's will in this world, at the level of the emotions, this is fear. At the level of the world of malachim, this is chait. This is, a, you know, a bad malach, malach ra, so to speak. At the level of kiseh hakavod, God sitting on his throne of judgment, that's din. So when a person creates a malach, through his negative action, then the malach is, we'd say, like a negative malach. The only thing is that it's a malach. It's a spiritual force. And a spiritual force, a divine emissary, can't be bad. A spiritual, we've talked about this, a spiritual emissary, a divine force, a malach, only seeks to perform God's will. That's what it is. (laughs) That's just what it is, is an action towards God's will. So therefore, the effect that what that malach does is it starts t- tickling and teasing the person to get them to do teshuva. So people feel guilt, people feel suffering, people feel worry and fear. That's in the emotional level. Because a person could suffer a lot of emotional pain from fear that has nothing to do with the physical expression. A person could have a lot of suffering from worry and daiga without it ever coming true. Maybe at the end it doesn't happen. Right? So it's, it's physical, and yet it's not physical. It's, it's the world of Yitzira. It's the emotional state. And in the physical world, there's actual Yisurim. The person may or may not have been afraid of and suffered because of that, but they could suffer from the pain itself. These are all the malach of our own... It's our own action itself seeking to correct. It, it's very reminiscent of this... Um, Everything as a creation of God has no other purpose but to serve the glorification of God as creator, ruler, and master. It is inevitable that all things should fulfill this destiny. But that's a harder way to do it than just to have done the right thing the first time around. (laughs) Okay? Which is why teshuva is up there by the din. Meaning, if teshuva happens, now it's not din in the same way, and then everything ripples down and changes again. 
and that can change the reality. Okay. There is heavenly suffering because Hashem's original will has not been fulfilled, which is the will to bestow good on his creations. This is what the Nefesh HaChaim refers to when he says, God's tefillin represent his attachment to us, his wish to bestow good on us in every way. Hashem has an ideal plan for the world, namely, to bestow his good on us directly without any suffering. However, due to our sins, good cannot be dispensed in this fashion. Suffering is inevitable. It is a frustration of Hashem's original will. Now remember that it's frustration not as in stopping it, but it's a very long route. It's, it's Yisurim. Lasur is to turn it something off the path. Right? His quote-unquote inability on account of our sins to act toward us in the way he intended. That's what causes heavenly suffering. It's Hashem's, it's, it is a temporary state of God's will of his bracha being thwarted. <laughs> it makes us suffer. <laughs> it makes him suffer. What is that? As much as the calf wants to nurse, the cow wants to nurse the calf. Okay. Um, okay, he brings a different explanation from the Nefesh HaChayim with a mashal of a father whose son, uh, he hears, the father hears a crash, and he runs to the door. It's three in the morning. The father can't sleep because the son hasn't come home. Three in the morning, he hears a crash outside, and he sees the car is in a million little pieces, and his son is in there. He drags his son out, and the son is in a drunken stupor, has broken every bone in his body in this crash. They call 911. They get him to the hospital. The son is, is unconscious. He's not actually feeling any pain. The father is feeling a lot of pain. Okay. They get him to the hospital. I'm elaborating a little. I'm modernizing here, but this is the muscle. And the doctors give him anesthesia, and they set all the bones. And <clears throat> he wakes up from this surgery. And now the son is screaming in agony. There's every bone in his body. I mean, imagine all the little, those little tiny bones in the ear and the nose and the, you know, and every finger and everything's broken. And now, okay. When the son is being healed, he's suffering because he's no longer drunk. He's not in a stupor. The father is still distressed, but the worst is over because he knows his son is now healing. When the son was in a drunken stupor, the father suffered more than the son. Even though that's when, and because that, he, because he could see clearly, he understands that's the danger. That's the shame. That's the damage. When he's healing up, the father feels bad, but not as bad as the son does. Because all that pain is part of the repair. Similarly, the divine presence is distressed when we sin because we are damaging ourselves without realizing we're doing so. We're in a drunken stupor driving that car. When we suffer the inevitable consequences of our sins, we suffer greatly. But the divine presence starts suffering less than when we committed the sin. Because at least now we're healing from the damage we've done to ourselves and our lives are no longer in danger. We've been pulled out from the flames. It, again, is a way, it's an elevation to our suffering to the extent that we feel loved and then feel love to realize that God pulled us out of the flames and we're, we could even feel some relief that at least he's not suffering as much as he was before. That's a, a completely different way of turning ourselves around to feel that we're givers. What, one thing we learn from this is that the Shekhinah suffers pain not because we've sinned, but because of the damage we cause ourselves by sinning. That's real love. <laughs> That's real love. Right? It's not because we hurt him. It's because we hurt ourselves. Hashem gave us mitzvos in order to bestow goodness upon us. Right? This is something we say after every parak of, uh, of Pirkei Avos. Ratzah Kadesh Baruch Hu says Yisrael. God wished to give purity and zechus, merit, to the Jewish people. Lefi chachir belham Torah mitzvos. That's why he gave us a lot of Torah and a lot of mitzvos. As it says, Hashem chafetz laman sitko yagdil Torah God desired for the sake of the Jewish nation's righteousness that the Torah be great and glorious. The rationale of Hashem giving us all the mitzvahs is to bestow his goodness upon us. 
when we sin, in other words, when we violate the mitzvos, we're, we're making it that he can't give us the good, and we're hurting ourselves, we're damaging ourselves, we're breaking our bones, we're driving drunk. And that's where the suffering comes from. Prayer is a place where we can touch. I'm skipping a little. Prayer is a place where we can touch upon Hashem's Ratzon. That's really the Shemona Esrei, expression of Hashem's Ratzon. And the consciousness that Hashem is interested in us. I think this is this idea of Hashem is Gibor Le'olam, Mechaye Mesim, Somech Noflim, Rofe Cholim, Matir Asurim. All of it is healing. All of it is, it's the Gavura that comes, right? And it's a way that we are, what we are expressing in here is a recognition. That's real Gavura, right? <laughs> I mean, real, is it? It's not braver to say, I won't take him to the doctor because it'll hurt so much when they set the bones. <laughs> it's braver to say, I'm going to take him even though it's going to hurt so much because that's the only way to heal him, right? That's the gavura. That's hein hein gvurosav. That is the gavura itself, is being willing to go through that because you love someone so much that what hurts you even more than suffering is that they've damaged themselves and they've cut themselves off from greater good. And instead of abandoning them at the side of the road or calling 911 and then driving home saying, oh, what a shame to see what people have come to nowadays. Right? You actually stay there with them and you help them and you get them out and you sit with them and you pace the halls during the surgery. Right? This is... Now, he goes on, Rav Leichter, based on Ramban, quoting a Pasuk in Yonah, which is an interesting Pasuk because what it's quoting is like the king of Nineveh and his people, how they did tshuva. It describes there, how did they do tshuva? They, they put on sackcloth, the people and the animals. I'm not sure exactly like I guess they also dress their animals. I don't like Los Angeles, you know. And they vayikru el Elokim bechazka, and they called out to Elokim midasadin bechazka powerfully. And each person returned from his bad ways vayashuvu. They did shuva, and from the violence which was on their hands. From here, you learn that prayer requires a voice, chazka. It has to be loud. Okay, there's a tie-in to Shemona Esrei where we don't say it loud. Okay. What do Chazal mean when they describe prayer as requiring audacity? Strength. It requires, he, he translates it here as audacity. It's interesting. Chazka. Power. What role does power play in prayer? And again, we're back to this Gvura. We're used to being ashamed to ask for things. It doesn't feel good to ask and be a taker. Give, 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 give to me. And the person who's asking is now dependent on how the giver's mood is. <laughs> May I please have some soup? Well, I don't know. I was hoping to save it for somebody I like more than you. You already had enough. I don't feel like making more, so no. Okay. Since the supplicant can't be sure that the giver has an interest in his well-being, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating to have to ask. It's hard to ask because the person may have other things that they value more than you or... Okay. But when we daven, as we're describing here, there's no sense of shame because we stand before Hashem with self-confidence. We declare to him, you are interested in giving to me. The fulfillment of my needs is a matter of your concern. Our requests are not made on the basis of the merciful benevolence of the giver, but in accordance with his will. In other words, not his mood or whim to do good, but his will to do for us. It's this reason that our attitude to davening is a little bit audacious. <laughs> There's a chazka there calling out to Hashem mm -hmm. with strength. We're coming from a position of strength in this request. We're not ashamed to ask. Tefillah is the vehicle, the Ramban says, through which we connect to Hashem's initial intention in creation. We, we get back in touch with the will for creation. This is, all comes back to that idea of tov, things coming to what God wants them to be, mm -hmm. this will that won't be thwarted, this uh, inevitability of destiny, this, that's what we're tapping to. It's, it, 
This is why tshuva is related to tefillah. They're connected because tshuva is the repair, is fixing it so that our will is his will, his will is our will. And his will is to do for us that the thwarting of that, the temporary blocking of that, that's the yisurim. That's what makes us feel yisurim. It's what makes the shechina feel yisurim, so to speak. Straightening that all out, that's God's will. When, Asha, when Chazal say we, do, we have to daven with a strong voice, they don't mean that we should cry out louder when we're in trouble. <laughs> that's not what it means. You're in more trouble, scream louder. I mean... It could be that's natural, but not necessarily. Some people, the more they suffer, the quieter they get, right? It's not about the volume. Rather, we're being told that we should approach tefillah with a confidence. The strength here is not the strength of the volume. It's the strength of the security of knowing that our requests are on a firm basis. We're not coming in asking for something, and there's like it's just the whim of the giver that's, that's going to make it... No, we're coming and asking for what he wants. It's not ashamed. It's not with fear. It's with strength and confidence. We're asking not only for what's good for us, but for what he wants. Now, what that means is we have to understand that what he wants is what's good for us. Okay? But that gives us confidence in him, and it also gives us confidence in us. That's the chiddush here. It goes both ways. Mm-hmm. It's quite a remarkable thing. I, I guess this is that unification. That is that there's now there's no difference between what I'm asking for and what is Hashem's will. Mm-hmm. That's how it plays out into a lot. This is like yet another twist on that, which is uh, kind of kind of astonishing. So I went a little bit over there. This is uh, sort of a lot with the gavura and pulling that mm-hmm. together. And I think that next week. We'll start talking more about the separate, I keep saying we're going to do that, but like the separate phrases or clauses, like a little more about the rain and where the verses, which one, you know, how each, each phrase, like we did with the first bracha, is based on a certain pasuk or a certain idea, so kind of move, move toward there, I hope. I think this, this helped to tie together the fundamental Gevura concept. Thank you. Thank you. Sort of a lot to think about. All right. Um.